0: this is just a shamozzle it's shambolic uh you look like a hobo you need to you know, <laughs> clear this stuff up
1: well good morning everyone and welcome to the pleasure of the text podcast we are your hosts shannon and Garrett. Hello, and shannon. at the pleasure <laughs> Hi Gareth, how are you?
0: I'm well, I'm well, just butting in, you know.
1: Yeah, no worries. Well, I'm sure no one has to rehear our spiel, but if they do want to, at the pleasure of the text, it is our job, no, it's our pleasure to talk about everything reading and writing. And, um, cause we honestly believe that reading and writing are not lonely pursuits. So, and what are we doing today, Gareth?
0: Today, we're talking about the epitome of not being lonely, which is going to a book club.
1: Joining a book club.
0: Joining a book club, actually showing up at a book club. Cause that's a, that's a key component.
1: Yes, that is so true. Isn't it? How many yeah. members would you say are on your book club that do not show?
0: Okay. Well, we've got about 200 at the moment. Um, and I reckon I've probably got rid of about 200 over the years. Wow. Um, so let's say about four to 500 members. And of those, I would say 30 have ever shown up and generally speaking, 16 to 20 are fairly regular.
1: Okay. And I suppose a bit of background on that. So you started and you host the Central Coast, uh, good fiction group.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's been going for about five or six years. Um. And that's on meetup.com, It's an excellent platform for, for meeting people as the name implies. And yeah, no, we started, when we started it, I think the first one got three people that was including me, um, and we <laughs> went to an RSL and cause we thought an RSL, it was an outdoor RSL. So it was surrounded by forest, which we thought was going to be stunning. But what we didn't realize was that they'd shut, they shut down at about three in the afternoon. So the pub was open for the diehards, um, but basically everything else was shut. So we sat out the front of it in the shivering cold with one packet of chips between the three of us, uh, and we, and tried to talk about this book, which we couldn't see because there was no light. So, uh, that was not an auspicious start, but we've built since then. And it's, yeah, if you're thinking of joining, it won't be like that.
1: Oh yeah, I've got two follow-up questions. That very first time, who were those two other followers that you had, um, nabbed into your book club and what was the other one? Why did you start the book club?
0: Oh, well, I think the main reason I started it was, um, when my wife, Joan, and I moved up to the central coast, uh, everyone on the New South Wales central coast is really friendly. But there's this, this line in the sand where you you get talking to people and you don't really feel like you can say, wow, that was a great chat. Here's my number. Let's go for coffee. So you end up having all these lovely fleeting experiences with people, but you can end up being relatively isolated regardless. So joining like starting a book club was a good way to meet people with similar interests. And also, I have an editing background amongst other things, and I edited a lot of books that had really depressed me. Um, So I was looking to read books with other people that, you know, were good, hence the Good Fiction Club. Um, And it was also an opportunity for me to hang out with my sister. So um, she was down in Sydney, and she would make the trek up here for the book club. So that was a nice other thing as well
1: yeah um so if you've called it the good fiction. what in your determination is good fiction then <laughs> um let's jump right into it
0: yeah let's jump right into it uh well yeah so basically in the in the club's about us page to sort of define that as as stuff that would um maybe win awards but not top bestseller lists um that was the way we danced around that idea. Uh, you know, there's a distinction between literary and popular fiction, Shannon, and, and there's a lot of talk about that. Um, would you say you're a, uh, <clears throat> a reader of literary, popular or both?
1: I would definitely say both because, um, I first started reading when I was quite young and I remember reading the Hobbit and probably when i was 9 because my mum had this amazing hardcover picture book which i lost one day i reckon i could sell that for so much money now if i still had it um and then i read lord of the rings when i was 12 13 and um so i moved into reading through my mum who read a lot of fantasy and i love fantasy so that would be your kind of genre popular fiction and since getting older and meeting you i now appreciate literary fiction so things that aren't necessarily genre or popular
0: um yeah i look i the only thing i would say is that genre is not um on the table with this question there's plenty of uh literary fiction that is genre, uh, genre fiction um i know ursula Le Guin. uh, uh yes her, whom i love she was quite frustrated by the idea that she was sort of, um, pigeonholed as a genre writer. Um, and I agree. I, I think she's a literary writer. I think all books necessarily will conform or disturb a certain number of genres. So that's kind of, uh, I wouldn't put that in the equation. I think, um, It's an interesting question. I think ultimately what it boils down to for me is that when we talk about literary fiction and it's probably not a great word, uh, we're talking about open fiction, like an open ended question. Um, and so readers are drawn in and invited to make meaning. Uh, whereas with a closed question, uh, I would say that's more like popular fiction, popular fiction tends to be a lot neater uh, does a lot of the work for you, describes everything you need to see without inviting you to see around corners yourself. Um, and for me, I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's not a snobbishness, although, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm not a snob, I'm a shocking <laughs> snob, but in this particular, um, Instance, it's not about snobbishness, like, you know, if you read literary fiction so that you can feel you're better than other readers, uh, you're not. Um, but if you, you know, if you read it because you enjoy it, I think it's because it's that open-ended nature of it. And that can certainly include genre work. Another writer off the top of my head is, uh, Stanislaw Lem. An Amazing yeah, right. writer. Science fiction. No problems there at all. Or indeed Tolkien. Uh, I would say he's a literary writer, not a popular writer, although he had popular success.
1: Yeah. And he's been pigeonholed now mm. into the genre of fantasy. So mm. why do we have this tendency? Um, cause I did go to a, a masterclass and it was called defining your genre. Why is there so much emphasis on defining a genre and shoving people into these pigeonholes, even though people you don't. You said Tolkien would probably be a literary writer as well as Ursula Le Guin. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing it?
0: Uh, we're doing it because when we talk about finding your audience and and finding your genre, we're talking about finding your market and finding the paying guests who will come and stay in your world. So it's about money. Yeah. It's not actually yeah. about reading. Um. And I will say that. If you're working out your genre, if you're spending all this time as a writer going, okay, what genre do I fit into? You're wasting a lot of creative time on something that really your publisher should do for you. Um, when I finished my first novel and I got an agent from it, she said, you know, it's this genre. And I was like, is it though? And she went, yes, it is. And I went, okay, great. Um, I can't remember what she said it was. I think it was a sort of a psychological mystery or something. I would not have defined the book as that at all. Um, but you know, that was what it was going to be pitched as. And if publishers took it up, that's how they were going to sell it. But I didn't need to find my genre. I just wrote what I wanted to write, which was, um drawing off a whole lot of influences as as you do. Uh so yeah, I mean we'll we'll talk about that in a subsequent podcast, I dare say. But I think that some of the masterclasses for writing are really just master classes for publicity. They're not really the same thing at all. And I don't think they're tremendously useful to be honest.
1: I think I would definitely have to agree agree with your statement that they are classes for publicity even the ones like uh you know the novel ones where they say you can create a novel within uh i don't nine months time per se they really are slotting you again pigeonholing you in a way to okay you have to have a start you have to have act one you have to have act two you have to have act three you have to have all these things and you're going to do this week by week and it's a real shame because i don't think the creative process works like that I think, I mean, if we had a grasp uh, depiction, writing is like this. You're having good days, you're having bad days, you remove a whole like uh, draft of three chapters and then you continue on. It's not this straight linear process at all. And um, and I think the courses that you are buying, try to to like that because it's easier and palatable to sell something like that than to sell to you. Writing is hard. You're going to struggle, but in the end, it'll be worth it but you might not make money, but it will be worth it for the creative process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Writing is writing. It's, it's that thing, you know, giraffes, giraffe, trees, tree, writers write and everything else is external to that. And there's no reason why you can't think about it, but it's not writing. It just isn't. Um, and I think there's been a conflation of ideas, which I find quite problematic.
1: Yeah. Um, bringing it back to book club, I mean, we see writing and reading as the same thing here, so there's going to be a lot of crossovers mm. between writing and reading. And I was going to lead on with the question is, what do you think makes a successful book club? Why do your 20 to 19 members still continuously come?
0: I, I have a definite answer for this. Um, what we did when we set up our book club, I, I had attended a few other book clubs, and one of the things I found very problematic about them was it was like being at a board meeting. There would be action points. Uh, someone would take notes and I was like, oh, this is really dull. So when I started it, I thought, you know, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna, we're gonna like, maybe, you know, drink coffee, uh, maybe go for beers and maybe not even end up talking about the book, right? Like who knows, who knows what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. If you're having a good conversation and you just start, you know, rattling on about Tolkien, then, then the whole thing gets hijacked, but you're having a good time. So uh, that was the, the first thing, and we've had members come in here and there who've said this, this is just a schmozzle, it's shambolic, uh, you look like a hobo, you need to <laughs> clear this stuff up. But I never do, uh, because the sort of people it attracts, uh, are looking for similar things to what I'm looking for, which, uh, you know, is a good time, good conversation, and some sort of, uh, liquid refreshment. Um, so that's one of the things. The other thing is that we, we don't do popular fiction. And one of the things you find with popular fiction is people who love it, love it, but they love specific types. So when you start delving around into different kinds of popular fiction, you'll find that you lose a lot of people. But, um, because we focus on literary fiction for the most part, or popular fiction that has ascended into the the heights of literary fiction, like someone like Ian Fleming, for example, who's kind of, was considered very uh, low rent in his day, but compared to the modern scene, now seems, you know, like a master Dostoevsky of his time. So, we let everyone pick books, there's no, it's a a very democratic structure for the most part. And we do polls occasionally, but because we let everyone pick books, we get very different kinds of books and we tend to have reactions too. So, you know, you sort of go, wow, we've had three male authors in a row and they've all been white. Let's cut that noise out and get ourselves, you know, a black female author. Now, you know, who's, who's around, what can we find? And, and so it's great because you, you end up reading things you wouldn't necessarily read for reasons you wouldn't you know i don't look at my bookshelf and go okay when was the last time i read a hungarian writer i better get onto that you know you, you don't make those decisions but as a collective you kind of do um yeah so so that's good too it, it broadens what you read i think that's it and yeah. we just we have a lot of laughs We we have a really yeah. nice time it's relaxed
1: yeah And I think that follows on with my experience joining book clubs. So I, the first one I joined was when I first moved to Newcastle, which is near Sydney, central coast area. And I just wanted to go out and make some friends and hey, I love reading. And it very much was what you described. We went into one of those, um, not gambling places that, but that support returning servicemen. Ourselves. Oh yeah, another RSL. Another RSL?
0: Where else would you go? Uh,
1: Yeah. Not a library,
0: uh, not a cafe, an RSL.
1: Yeah, an RSL. And there was an element of um, liquid lubrication, so you can get a hot chocolate, which is what I ended up getting. But the book that we read was The Restorer by Michael Sala, which I never would have picked up anyway. So it definitely has the element of reading something you would not veer towards. And, you know, you're broadening horizons doing that, which is great. But it was people had notepads and there was a woman reading from a list of questions that we should answer about this book. And I felt very much like I was back in an English class in year 11 or 12 about to sit my uh, like TR exams and I did not go back. That was one example. And then the other one is that, you know, these things should be fun. You should be broadening your reading horizons. You should be finding authors that you might not necessarily have engaged with previously, but it really needs to be fun. And my friend made a book club called the Tiger Book Club. Can I show the bookmark again?
0: Yes, please.
1: So this man lies around (laughs) my house because he went through the effort of creating a bookmark and he wrote a fantastic, uh, what would you call it? a monologue on the back of this bookmark, and it really was fun. And we would go to a pub after reading our books. We might talk about it for 10, 20 minutes. If there was uh, disagreements, then we would go longer, but it really was just a great time to catch up, have a good meal, have a drink. And um, the only gripe with that one was it, could you call them book club books? It was just books that come out um, on a list almost. We used to pick the books as well, but we had The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, Eleanor Oliphant, it's completely fine, by Gail Honeyman, until some of us recommended some, something different, but those books were very not in my, um, not something that I particularly enjoy. Yeah.
0: And I mean, that's literary fiction, but it's, you're right, there's a, there's a kind of a subgenre. I wonder how you get on this. Where your book club books, there are certainly books that feel like they're going to be book club books and both those titles have that feel about them.
1: Yeah. And I remember we went into a secondhand bookstore around mm. you and you told me, cause I saw Eleanor Oliphant there and I told, you no, this is actually one of the books that we read in the book club. And then you talked to me about the three different tiers. Do you want to kind of cover that and how some of these book club books fall into one of those tiers? Are
0: we, are we talking about the way they, cause you know, I just say stuff, Shannon, and then it just flies out of my head. It Occasionally people tell them. I need you know, a permanent
1: that. recorder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just to keep me honest. Cause who knows what I'm actually saying at any particular time. I, do you mean it's like. very uh,
1: wise. I assure you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, you mean like sort of first rank fiction and
1: yeah. So what are the books that you will continuously find in a secondhand book store and what books do you have to search for and you rank them in a tier system or oh, yeah.
0: Well, like I'm yeah, very, the, there are, very... are definitely authors that, that you will find in secondhand bookstores cause you know, they're part of the book club, uh, scene, um, with the with the different kinds of ranks of fiction, I, I I don't remember who actually came up with this, but, but it was essentially the, you know, you've got your sort of, um, you know, I guess we'll call it the third rank fiction where you kind of things are presented to you and you go, uh, huh. All right. Yep. Okay. Great. And then that guy shot a gun and wrestled an alligator, kissed the girl and went home. All right. Awesome. So that's kind of third rank, uh, fiction. Uh, and it doesn't really happen to you, if that makes sense. And that's yeah. a okay. story is what happens to a reader. So,
1: and I agree with you there. Cause those are the books that don't stay on my bookshelf and in a year or two's time. It's not something that I'm going to keep with me.
0: Mm. No, well, this is it because it is, it's a closed question. You know, it's kind of, what's this book about? It's about this. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but. You know it just depends on on whether you want to be particularly affected by a book or just sit down and kind of enjoy it and And there's nothing wrong with consuming things yeah some movies yeah they are very much that you know people say just this sort of mindless um pleasures absolutely nothing wrong with that um I think our focus is away from that because our focus is away from that. But if we loved that, then our podcast would be about that. And so I don't think there's an inherent, inherent merit one way or the other. Second rank fiction is where you see something and think, yes, yes, I see that. I've always thought that, oh my God. Yeah, no, I realize now. And so you have this level of engagement where you you're moved by a thing. And you can relate to it deeply and you're brought into it. And that's that's open. And uh, literary fiction sort of begins there or it should begin there. And then your first rank fiction is no, I've never seen it that way, but oh my god, I'll never see it any other way again. So that's the one where it it kind of draws you in and changes you. And there are books that do that. I found that um uh, the ruined map by Kobo Abe was yeah. that book for me, um, I think secret rendezvous was more a second rank of fiction for me. I was drawn into it, and it it moved me and got me thinking, and I could see things that I'd thought before and what have you. The ruined map just kind of busted Definitely. my brain a bit, uh, and you could tell right, yeah, completely ruined um and you know i I think I said to you in one of the other podcasts I'll never look at lemon yellow things the same way again i won't. every time i see lemon yellow i think of that book so it's permanently marked me it's like a tattoo um and that's the first rank of fiction and people who are moved in that way they often reread christopher lee uh would have said that tolkien lord of the rings was first rank fiction um i wouldn't but this is a it's a very subjective thing but but he thought it was And he read it every year at Christmas. It was his gift to himself. He read it, I don't know how many dozens of times. He said it was different every time. Um, And it clearly had a profound effect on his entire life. So, yeah, so that's first-rank fiction. Yeah. I think you'll find that the books that end up in second-hand stores will either be in the 2nd or third ranks.
1: So what is on your shelf right now that you think is a first rank for you?
0: Um, well, I'll tell you two titles that I didn't expect were gonna affect me as much as they did from my book club. Um, now the problem is I'm yep. gonna have to look right. over my shoulder. <laughs> Excuse me, so? Oh. Um Oh, where is it? Oh, yes. Found it on the shelf. Bell Canto by Anne Patchett. Uh, it was just another title as far as I was concerned. I didn't, you know, I didn't pick it. It wasn't my turn. It was like, we're going to do this the synopsis sounded fine. Um, and it absolutely blew my mind and I reread it. Like I read it for the book club. And then I read it again straight, straight after, uh, and felt that I got two very distinct readings from it, but I was profoundly moved by it. And my whole sense of classical music was shifted by it. So that was a really profound read for me. Uh, and another one was, um, William Boyd, any human heart, uh, William Boyd, I think is someone who is variously seen as a popular writer and a literary writer, and any human heart's quite a big book, and it talks a lot about the second world war and I thought, I think it's the second world war, it's one of the two big wars um and and again, this book really affected me, but my my memory is just terrible but uh i I went into that book thinking I'm not going to want to read this thing it's a big lumbering book of Stuff about war and stuff. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want this nonsense. But I read it, you know, just to be polite. And you know, 20, 30 pages in, I went, okay, well, you know, I'm not into this at all, but it's not painful. It's well written. I'll just keep trolling on. Uh, a few hundred pages in, I'm like, I can't read this. Do I have to go to work? I'm <laughs> <is> sick. And <laughs> yeah. And it blew my mind. And it really, changed my sense of aging that was that was the thing that it really disturbed for me and it's defined some of what i personally think about aging now um so it's just things like that you know I i don't think it'll be that easy to find either of those books you know on, on a secondhand shelf um and then writers like stanislaw lem anyone who's ever read his work will typically go oh my god it's changed my life and they don't give them up they remain on their shelves so it is personal yeah. to some extent but not entirely there are definitely writers that achieve this what about you do do you think there are can you think of any first rank yes um uh pieces of fiction that
1: i can think there was one um that I recently recollected from home and this was through a scholastic programme when I was in primary school. And I actually wanted like a Digimon drawing um book. And my mum ordered the wrong book. And it's uh called Dark Horse and I can't remember the name of the author, but it's like a, a Scandinavian author. Very short and the story covers um this kind of uh, like a tribe, they find a girl that was living with wolves and they bring her in. And this book, I can't even tell you how, but it significantly changed the way, it changed something about me. And I've always thought about this book and I'm moving to Portugal soon. And this book is something that's going to go with me. And I really want to read it again. And it's, it's, I don't know, I can't even talk about it. It's just something that's really changed me. And then Another two books there, either top tier or second tier. Um, and t- it rose, uh, I thought about it when you were talking about the World War II book. And this was, I think he he's literary, literary and he's moved into the world of popular fiction. And it was All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doer. Is that his?
0: Oh, yeah. No. I've, yeah. It's, it's like D-E-E-R yeah. or something.
1: And, um, uh, yeah. so that book covers a blind, uh, mm. girl living in Paris and a German, a Nazi soldier, but there's also a magical jewel, kind of a magical realism element. And I read that while I was traveling through Europe and Germany. And that is also one of the things that kind of changed my perspectives. I mean, it's not really focused on the war, but it's just these two people trying to navigate it. And I really love those stories. There's no right or wrong. Like this is a war. It's how do two people make connections with others in a world that's so uh, broken of connection, and that was another one as well.
0: Yeah, um, it it's amazing, isn't it? Like when mm. when, when a book gets you, when it you. gets
1: you, it gets you. Um,
0: yeah, it, it's a, it's a powerful thing. I don't know if um if if popular fiction, where you know, in the terms that we're defining it, or maybe let's. Can we um can we drop popular and just say best selling? Um, the term oh, yeah. Bart would use, and and you know like the pleasure of the text is a, is a reference to Roland Barthes' book. The term he would use is readerly fiction for right. popular fiction, and the term for literature he would use is writerly yeah, fiction. Okay. Um, and and I guess the way to interpret that is. You're in a similar space to the writer when you read writerly fiction. You make meaning, you're, you're not just consuming the text, you're producing it as well, imaginatively. Um, I wonder if it is possible then for readerly texts to have that kind of effect. I mean, I assume they do. I just can't think of, I've never heard anyone mention what I would describe as a readerly text in those terms.
1: I'm just thinking another book we had for the book club was, um, Foundations by Isaac Asimov. And I really enjoyed that book. I talk Mm -hmm. about how he creates a character so well in quite a short space of time, but it's not something that moves me. And I would say that's a readerly text.
0: I think some of his short stories are quite rightly, um, there's, I mean, Asimov created our concept of robotics yeah, to a large. People list.
1: still quote his rules yeah, today. There is
0: three rules of robotics, and yeah, yeah, you know, a fiction writer yeah. came up with that. So, there's a little thing and for our listeners to remember: fiction writers changed the world.
1: So, you've got a book club. I'm part of a book club that is kind of still happening, not really. Can you think of any other examples of big book clubs or famous book club?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. I did yeah. I did research, of course. Um, oh yeah. No, I always come prepared, you know. Um, yeah, there's a few actually. Uh, and I, I thought I'd just run through them because it's, it's really interesting. When people try to define, you know, when, when book clubs began, they they reach they really reach so for example uh you know socratic circles are uh, described as potentially the first kind of book club um and certainly we got the socratic dialogues uh, out of them which you can read um and i guess that would be a fun thing to do maybe not so much in a book club but in a philosophy circle at the very least um so that was sort of seen as the first kind of book club citizens getting together in a circle, perhaps imbibing something or other and discussing ideas, not so much books, but ideas. Um, and then I, I found out that, you know, I don't know a lot about American history, I've got to be be (laughs) honest about that. Um, uh, but the, the Junto Club, I think that's how you say it, uh, J-U-N-T-O, the Junto Club, uh, founded by Benjamin Franklin in 1727 and i was really impressed by this uh so it was a philadelphia-based club uh mostly made up of tradesmen and artisans uh discussing morals politics and natural philosophy so again not so much books per se but ideas um, and they would get together every friday evening because there were no movies keep in mind in 1727 so there was not the friday night film They would get together, they went, they got together for nearly 40 years. So it almost ran until the 1770s, which is pretty impressive. But what I like about this club is that it eventually, a new branch was created, which became the American Philosophical Society, which still exists. But what I really like about this club is that they would use it as a platform for social projects. Uh, so for example, the first lending library in America was the brainchild
1: oh no one
0: junto club isn't that amazing pennsylvania hospital and the university of pennsylvania were all projects that they embarked upon but i thought it was really interesting that they were the first they they helped create the first Did lens. that like the
1: university of pennsylvania one of the first universities in america uh,
0: i would have i would have Thought so, but again, my my knowledge of American history is bad. So if we no, have we any do American, have an
1: American listener,
0: uh, please, you know, yeah, oh, do we tell me more? No, tell is, me more.
1: This will be our fifth week podcasting, but we have a dedicated American listener who's listened to all of all four podcasts that have been released, and I'm assuming he'll listen to this one as well, which is really exciting. So get in contact with us and let us know if. The University of Pennsylvania is the first university. Thanks to this, uh, book club, the Junto book club.
0: Yes, please do American listener. I hope you're not hate listening, uh, because we're, we're very excited that you're listening to us. Um, now you know what, even, even if someone's hate listening, I'm just glad.
1: Yeah, because as you said, right. so, um, when they met up every Friday, they would talk about books and ideas. And so if you're actually listening, you're learning more ideas, more books. And interestingly, when a um, a non-democratic government tries to take over, so dictatorship, they will start burning and getting rid of books. That's the first sign of censorship because you no longer can have access to ideas. So there you go. Book clubs are really important.
0: Oh God, they really are. Absolutely. And it actually would be really interesting to do a censored book club. I mean, it would have a limited lifespan, but there have been quite a few books that have been either banned yeah. or censored that that'd would be a great
1: podcast project. to do
0: wouldn't it maybe yeah. censored books let's get that or or banned books let's...
1: and just fyi uh, i do not live in the Brisbane book of the month club doing the censoring podcast
0: all <laughs> <laughs> right yeah although you know the um the political scene in queensland during the 1970s was what was the spur for, um, Australian punk. Really? It was a reaction to the oppressive political, uh, scene in Queensland at the time. So, you know, your dictators, your authoritarian figures, they, they do have their value. They can bring about some wonderful.
1: Very artistic reactions.
0: Absolutely. Like the saints, uh, I don't know if the saints were Queensland based. I think they were. Uh, but yeah, the Saints, fantastic band, check them out. Anyway, uh, book of the month club. Um, this is another one that I thought was interesting. Now, again, it's not strictly speaking a book club in the, in the sense that we're talking about. Um, but it was a mail order business founded by Harry Sherman in 1926. Uh, and the following year, now take note of this, Shannon, the following year, the book of the month club had over 60,000 subscribers. So we have a bit of work to do, um, to get mm-hmm. up from our current numbers. And one of the interesting things was the critics hated it. They, um, the sort of intelligentsia, which, you know, to which I aspire, uh, were very damning. Uh, You've got a long uh, way to go, uh, you hobo. Um, but, <laughs> right, clean yourself up. Um. But, you know, like they were putting out titles like Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms, uh, Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, The Grapes of Wrath, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, et cetera, et cetera. So these books would show up on people's doorsteps, you know, and, and that's that's a kind of a powerful thing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I do a lot of online book shopping. Um, a little shout out to Boomerang and
1: Books. Bookshop.org. And .org. bookshop.org.
0: Bookshop.org. Cause it is nice, isn't it? To get like a book on your doorstep. It's, uh, it's an invitation. And get ch-
1: the one they used to send chocolates as well um, with the book?
0: I- in the earlier iteration, yeah, they threw in some chocolates. So maybe uh, every hundredth subscriber will send them like a password <laughs> or something. Um, yeah. they, you know, they're pretty good. Um, book of the month club is still around. Uh, it's got over a million subscribers. Um, and Harry Sherman is considered the father of the mail order business for whatever that means. A, a few more, just I'll throw at you the Bloomsbury group, uh, which included Virginia Woolf and E.M. Forster. Uh, John Maynard Keynes, the of that oh, group. So they had some, yeah. Um, Clive and Vanessa Bell, critic and painter respectively. Um, you had the Stratford on Odeon group, which uh, included Ernest Hemingway, James Joyce, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and Gertrude Stein. The Inklings, because we're talking about Tolkien. I don't really know many of the Inklings, but the the one that really jumps out at me is C.S. Lewis. So they were in the same book club, sort of working towards their own uh, fantasy books. And now I found this fascinating thing. Have you heard of Margaret Fuller?
1: Is she a cookbook author? Ah, uh, you're Oh yeah, Mar- I am okay. Yeah, continue. It's also
0: excellent. Uh, Margaret Fuller. Uh I just thought this was, was fascinating. I'm just gonna read you this. This is from um Historyofinformation.com. How's that for a generic sounding place to find out stuff? History of information dot com. Uh so anyway, yes. She holds the first of her conversations in eighteen thirty-nine. November the sixth, eighteen thirty nine. American journalist, editor, critic, and translator, Margaret Fuller, held the first of her conversations, a series of discussions intended to compensate for the lack of women's education, with discussions and debates focused on subjects including the fine arts, history, mythology, literature, and nature. By serving as the nucleus of conversation, Fuller intended to answer the great questions facing women. And encourage women to question, to define, to state, and to examine their opinions. She asked her participants, what were we born to do? How should we do it? Which so few ever propose to themselves till their best years are gone by. These gatherings have been called the first woman's book club in the U.S. So that was 1839. And I thought, you know, she's a really interesting person, particularly for the era. Um, she was a very liberated woman, and and I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't. am
1: embarrassed now. I thought she was a cooker.
0: Yeah, well, you know, Margaret Fulton's not bad though. If if people don't know who she is, her cookbook is
1: yeah, uh, a
0: uh, Many a recipe drawn from there. Um, but you know, Fuller is interesting because I think between Fuller and Benjamin Franklin, we have another figure, which uh, would be Oprah Winfrey. I'm yeah. making the big call here. Um, but I think, I think there's a line that runs down from both Benjamin Franklin and Margaret Fuller that leads to Oprah Winfrey and her book club. Now, people will say Oprah's book club, oh my God, terrible thing. And the critics did, you know, they're like, you know, and so there's a bit of a pattern there also with the book of the month club. The critics said, you know, this is schmaltz, this woman, you know, what does she know about books? However, again, the the kinds of books that she was promoting were really quality books, and obviously she had an incredible reach uh, as a personality. Um, her book club started in 1996, and in the first three years, each book she chose averaged sales of 1.4 million copies each, so I guess the lesson here shannon is that we really need to get her on board this <laughs> podcast <laughs> but yeah like she was doing stuff like tolstoy's anna karenina william faulkner's the sound and the fury uh maya angelou's the heart of a woman you know these are these are not trashy books so but again i think the critics kind of misunderstood what she was doing Toni morrison who's a you know someone to listen to she called it a reading revolution yeah um and and something that oprah said i was quoting oprah
1: is why something that oprah
0: said that i thought was really interesting right (laughs) um she talks about book clubs in civic terms and it reminded me of benjamin franklin in that way and a quote from her is quote, getting my library card was like citizenship. It was like American citizenship. Um, That was, uh, she said that in an interview with Life Magazine in 1997, presumably, when they were asking her, why are you doing a book club? And of course, Oprah's book club has led into a number of other celebrity book clubs. Um, And I don't say that to be dismissive, but they are Book clubs that have their power from being promoted by celebrity. There's yeah. no question of that. But many of the books on, you know, that are promoted through these book clubs are really worthy books. And you know, I'd love to have one of these celebrity book clubs, you know, promote me. I'd go from 11 subscribers to at least 15 yeah. overnight. It'd be wonderful. Uh, yeah. Do you subscribe to any celebrity book clubs, Shannon?
1: No, I don't, but I do keep track of, oh, maybe it's not a book club, but I do keep track of Barack Obama's reading list. So he's recently released the, his summer reading list, which was very interesting. There was a great mix of authors, um, of all kinds. And I also, actually I don't pay much stock to the New York Times reading list. I pay more attention to reading lists than celebrity, but you know, you're going to be a celebrity soon. So I, and I am part of your book club, but I am one of those ones who don't arrive because of distance, not because of anything else. So yeah, I am part of a c- celebrity book club.
0: Well, <laughs> that's very flattering. Um,
1: you don't know what to say. Uh,
0: I'm all flushed now. I don't know what to say. Um I do know what to say, actually. I, I want to tell you about the Algonquin round table before we sort of start talking about, you know, cause I've been chucking all this information at you and we're gonna have to like, you know, synthesize it and make, make something of it. But I really want to tell you about the Algonquin round table.
1: And I really want to uh, hear about because it.
0: Because I consider it, well, don't we all, I consider it a book club. Now, I don't know that, um, everyone would, um. But I'll, again, now I've gone, I've gone deep on this one. I've gone all the way to Wikipedia to get my quotes for this one. Shout out to Wikipedia. Thank you very much. Um, the Algonquin round table was a group of New York writers, critics, addicts, and actors, sorry. Addicts. Wits. Um, (laughs) addicts. Yes. Yes. Attics and basements. Gathering initially as part of a practical joke. Uh, members of the vicious circle, as they came to be known met for lunch every day at the Algonquin hotel from 1919 until roughly 1929. So it was very much a twenties thing. And basically at these luncheons, they just, uh, ripped the shit out of each other. That was basically what they were doing. They do a bit of gambling and just having a laugh, drinking a lot of, uh, moonshine, I dare say, and. And yeah, just cracking wise. So the reason why I see them as a book club is most of them were writers, but they didn't approach it like a writing group because they they approached each other like readers, I think, in that they offered very subjective feedback, sometimes very unkind feedback. Um, but as I understand it, very funny feedback. And and I believe at at one point uh there was a journalist who used to come along and just write down what they were saying, because it was so uh, quotable. So in addition to the daily luncheons, the members of the table would work and associate with each other quite a bit. They were like a, a tribe, if you like, they play a lot of games like cribbage and, and poker and charades. But the one that, um, I think is amazing is the, I can give you a sentence game. So for example, uh, Dorothy Parker was given the word horticulture. And she had to make a sentence out of it. And the sentence is this quote, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So hopefully no one's offended by that. I didn't say it. Dorothy Parker said it. I'm just quoting her. Yeah. Um, So charter members uh, of, of the vicious circle included, um, Alexander Walcott, the critic uh, journalist, and it was Walcott. He was the subject of the practical joke, um, that formed it. I mentioned Dorothy Parker, Robert Benchley, who was a humorist. I really like Robert Benchley. Um, Robert E Sherwood. And then you had occasional members like, uh, Tallulah Bankhead, uh, Noel Coward, Edna Ferber, and Harpo Marx, amongst others. So, That's a
1: good collection of people to have in your book club.
0: The who's who of, of, of the 1920s, really um
1: back when books were more appreciated
0: well yeah exactly exactly uh now i you know i'm a massive dorothy parker fan but besides writing uh poems and short stories she was also a critic um she wrote some absolutely savage reviews of of (laughs) things uh we might
1: one of my favorite was um winnie the pooh
0: winnie the pooh yeah the Tonstant Weeder. We, we might st- stick that in the show notes or something, that really Oh, yeah, I, we definitely will. That's pretty funny. I wanted to actually play you um clip of Dorothy Parker reading one of her poems, a very famous poem called Resume, uh, and I'll just play that now.
1: Razors pain you, rivers are damp, acid stain you, and drugs cause cramp. Guns aren't lawful nooses give gas smells awful you might as well live
0: so yeah that's pretty uh that's pretty savage uh very much her her mindset i think she she was uh known to be uh quite depressed a lot of the time as well as like completely loaded so um yeah that's dorothy parker and robert benchley is is a really interesting character um And I, I think he's really underappreciated. And so I just wanted to read you just a little bit of one of his pieces. So he's a humorist. He'd write short essays. Um, this one's called why we laugh or do we, uh, and it begins in order to laugh at something, it is necessary one, to know what you are laughing at two, to know why you are laughing three, to ask some people why they think you're laughing. 4 to jot down a few notes, 5 to laugh. Even then, the thing may not be cleared up for days. All laughter is merely a compensatory reflex to take the place of sneezing. What we really want to do is sneeze. But as that is not always possible, we laugh instead. Analyse any funny story or comic situation at which we laugh, and it will be seen that this theory is correct incidentally by the time you have the humor analyzed it will be found that the necessity for laughing has been relieved so yeah i i just really love benchley he's um he's exactly the sort of person you would want to have lunch with i think um and i think you know if if i could do anything uh besides what i'm doing i think going back in time and just popping in to have lunch with the regular members of the Algonquin table would be extremely high on my list. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? So we, we, I've been talking about clubs, none of them have really, well, with a couple of exceptions, none of them have really though been dedicated book clubs. They've been about other things. Um, what do you make of that?
1: Going back to Roland Bart's definition is you know you've got your rightly text and then you've got your readerly text and I think one of the reasons why a lot of these book clubs aren't just dedicated book clubs is because in order in order to engage with a rightly text you need to live and a lot of these uh book clubs dedicated to other things you know having conversations at the Gonquin hotel did I say that right
0: Algonquin yeah
1: Algonquin hotel, you know, that's a living experience and, you know, going, traveling is a living experience and bring all those things in. Even if your book club is going around trialing different pubs every time, you're still living and you can bring that living into your next reading within your book club. So I think that's incredibly invaluable.
0: Yeah. Look, uh, gosh, I, I agree. I think that's, that's, um, that's much better than what I was going to say. And, in, in <laughs> and actual- what were you going to say? Well, we will we even get to that? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this, this whole text of the self, you know, when you read a book, when you're making meaning, you are the other text, the two texts, the, the, the thing on the page and the thing sitting near the thing on the page, they combine and then you get a reading and it's never the same reading twice across different people and across different times in your own life. You'll read a book one time, like Christopher Lee reads the lord of the rings every year and it's a different book each time so i agree you know to 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 really um engage with an open writerly text a bit of living is important a bit of thinking about other things um you know it's not a closed question it's an open question that can tie in all kinds of intertextuality and and yeah you know i mean I was going to say something else but i just like what you said better so i'm not going to now i just i i've been uh this is first rank podcasting i didn't <laughs> see it that way but now i do and i'll never see it any other way again
1: you're not going to see us in a secondhand bookstore
0: <laughs> right oh actually no you'll see me in a secondhand bookstore um
1: scrub up you hobo <laughs> Spending
0: way too much money and people will be like, why don't you just use that money to get a haircut and a shave? Yeah, bum. Um, Yeah. But, um, yeah, book clubs, I think they're great. I think they have a really storied history. Um, And if, you know, if you're not a member of a book club, go find one. They're great.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that's a great uh, time to kind of plug in and end because even though we're not a dedicated book club, we have a book club segment or a book review where we talk each month about a book that we're reading. And this month, we're going to be talking about House of Leaves by Mark L. Danieluski, And that is a great book. And I kind of also want to think, don't let advertising tell you what a good seller, a bestseller is or a popular book is. Let yourself tell you what a good book is. Just go out and read more books and let us know what your favourite books are. What's yeah. changed your life? What is the top tier book to you?
0: I wouldn't mind hearing some people's recommendations. That sounds really good.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, and I reckon this is a good place to end unless you've got any further quotes that you'd like to share, Gareth.
0: More quotes? No. No, I've got nothing.
1: Oh, well, that's, that's a, a new one. <laughs> okay. And then. Next week we're doing one of our creative writing segment segments and what do we plan I know we've had a few ideas Gareth what did you end up uh deciding on
0: Well I, because we um we interviewed Cheryl Sullivan and um we were talking about uh how did it, how did it actually come up we started talking about
1: We were talking about the St James tunnels
0: Oh the St James tunnels yeah oh yeah and then we we sort of slid into forensic photography um, and the mugshots from from 19 teens through to the 1940s, particularly the 1920s. And, um, seeing as we've been talking about the Algonquin table, we'll probably focus on the 1920s, but there's a, an amazing repository of, um, crime scene photographs that you can access, uh, I can't think what it's called. I think it's the Sydney living museum. Um. So we're going to look at a few of those and we're going to look at them as prompts for writing. So that's what we'll be doing next time, which hopefully will be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And I'm excited because you're going to bring up the reason why you were down at a police station next week when we do the creative writing segment.
0: Oh no.